0: Hey, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how scientists finally solved the mystery about how friction causes static electricity. You'll also learn from renowned theoretical physicist Sean Carroll, why the many worlds theory could be the best way for us to understand the universe.
0: Let's understand some curiosity. Scientists have solved a mystery that is more than 2,500 years old. They have finally figured out how friction causes static electricity also known as triboelectricity. And this new knowledge could have implications for electrostatic applications, like harvesting energy in printing, and for avoiding potential dangers like fires caused by sparks from static electricity. As reported by Futurity, Northwestern University researchers created a new model that shows that at the nanoscale, all materials have rough surfaces with countless tiny protrusions. When two materials rub against each other, those protrusions bend and deform. Those deformations give rise to voltages that ultimately cause static charging. This phenomenon is called the flexoelectric effect, which happens when the separation of charge in an insulator comes from deformations like bending. This work explains lots of experimental observations, like why we get a charge even when two pieces of the same material rub together. The findings also do a remarkably accurate job of predicting experimentally measured charges. The researchers say this is a great example of how fundamental research can give us new ways to understand everyday phenomena, and how research in one area can lead to unexpected advances in another. Kinda nice when different scientific disciplines rub off on each other.
1: Yeah, and then and then make the other scientific discipline's hair stand on end and then and then they, they can touch each other and shock shock each other. Shocking. There are many versions of you that literally exist. That's according to an actual scientific idea called the many worlds theory. And our guest today is here to tell you that this theory is more than just a far out idea from science fiction. In fact, it makes more sense than a lot of other theories. Sean Carroll is a renowned theoretical physicist at the California Institute of Technology and one of the world's most celebrated science writers. His newest book is called Something Deeply Hidden, Quantum Worlds and the Emergence of Spacetime. And in the book, he proposes a new way of approaching scientific theories that could settle some of the drama going on in the world of quantum physics research. We kicked off our conversation by asking, "What's that drama all about?"
2: Quantum mechanics is the most successful theory that we have in all of physics, right? It's really the centerpiece of everything that modern physics does, and yet we don't understand it. it. We've had this set of rules for doing quantum mechanics since the 1920s, but it's kind of a black box. We can set something up and we can say what's going to happen next, but we don't know why. We can't actually say what are the details of what is happening. And for decades now, physicists have been content with this. They, they seem to be satisfied with not understanding their best theory of nature. I personally think that it's holding us back a little bit when we try to ask questions like, how do you quantize gravity or what happened at the Big Bang. So I think that it's time to face up to the puzzles of quantum mechanics.
1: That seems so strange to someone outside of physics that people wouldn't want to dig into the details of how quantum physics actually works. Do you know what the reasons are for that?
2: I think that it's a complicated mix of things. I mean, part of it is just the historical fact that There was this debate between Niels Bohr and Albert Einstein with Einstein saying, you know, no, this quantum mechanics is great. I helped invent it, but it's not the final answer. We need to really dig into what's going on. And Bohr and his school at Copenhagen saying, no, you know, we we know it well enough. We should move on and do other things. And Bohr was much more persuasive in the popular arena. And the other thing is, of course, we had other things to do. You know, physicists were fascinated by particle physics and condensed matter physics and astrophysics. And so rehashing the debates about the foundations of quantum mechanics seemed like a waste of time or at worse, it was something closer to philosophy than to really doing physics.
1: The Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics is the reigning theory, and it was largely devised by Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg in the mid 1920s. Here's Sean with a quick overview of how it works and why it doesn't work.
2: So in quantum mechanics, when we have a little system, a quantum mechanical object like an electron or some other elementary particle, quantum mechanics says, unlike classical mechanics, there's no such thing as where the particle is located. Instead, there is this cloud of probability that we call the wave function. And the problem is, that's fine, you know, you could deal with that. But the problem is that when you look at the electron, when you ask, where is it? I'm going to locate it by taking a picture of it. You don't see a cloud of probability, you see the electron located at some point. So that's the measurement problem of quantum mechanics. Why is what we see when we look at it different than how we describe it when we're not looking at it? And Copenhagen says, well, there is a sudden, random, discontinuous change in the state of the electron when you look at it. It was this big fuzzy cloud of probability, and then it snaps into some location kind of randomly. But this, of course, is kind of preposterous because what do you mean, look at it? Like what what counts as looking at it? Does it have to be a person? If what if I just bump into it? What if I look at it but not very accurately? Does that still count? And no one is ever able to answer these questions. So many worlds comes along. Hugh Everett in the 1950s said, look, what you should do is treat yourself as a quantum mechanical system. It's not just the electron that is quantum mechanical, you're quantum mechanical too. And you should just solve the equations of quantum mechanics, the Schrodinger equation, invented by Erwin Schrodinger, the same guy with the cat. And you should ask, what is that predicting? And what it predicts is that you become entangled with the electron and you branch into a whole separate set of worlds. In each world, you saw a particular outcome, but the whole set of worlds have all the outcomes still in them.
0: I am so glad that you said that about the measuring and like observing. That is the one thing I've never been able to wrap my head around. So you're you're conceding
2: that it is kind of like a vague thing? It is extremely vague in the Copenhagen interpretation. In many worlds, it is perfectly transparent. That's one of the reasons why many worlds is much better.
1: <laughs> OK, the many worlds theory sounds incredibly complicated. But you say in the book that it's actually the simplest theory. Why is that?
2: It is. If you think about the... What we teach our students when we teach them quantum mechanics, the Copenhagen interpretation, there are two. Separate sets of rules for what quantum mechanical systems do one set of rules for when you're not looking at them Which is to say that there's this equation the Schrodinger equation and they just uniformly smoothly evolve according to this equation And there's a whole nother set of rules for what happens when you do look at them when you look at a quantum system It collapses. There's a probability that you get a certain answer, etc and the entirety of the many worlds formulation just says erase all of those weird rules about observations just don't put them in right simplify the whole story just have the schrodinger equation just have wave functions let them do their thing and what you get is exactly what we observe as long as you're willing to put up with the fact that there are many worlds out there so the underlying rules of the game are enormously simpler in many worlds than in any other version of quantum mechanics
1: Sean told us that you don't actually have to take those many worlds into account when you're doing calculations. It's just sort of a natural result of the math that you're doing. The theory is not about many worlds. The many worlds are just a prediction of the theory. And the laws of physics still apply to these many worlds and universes. It's not like anything can happen in them. He said there's no doubt this brings up all sorts of radical metaphysical questions about what it means to be a person and about our identity through time, but that's even more reason to spend time thinking about them. Again, Sean Carroll's new book is called Something Deeply Hidden, Quantum Worlds and the Emergence of Space-Time. You can find a link to pick it up in today's show notes, and tomorrow you can hear the second half of our conversation.
0: Now let's recap what we learned today.
1: Today we learned that static electricity happens because tiny little protrusions in the surface of materials create electric voltage when they bend and deform. So the next time it's winter and you're walking in socks on carpet and you get shocked by your doorknob, now you know why.
0: There's the rub. (laughs) And that the many worlds theory says there are lots of different versions of you, and that's actually a more simple explanation than the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics.
1: I like to imagine that there's an alternate universe where... You, Cody, are a morning
0: person. Maybe there's one where I'm a cat person and you're a dog person. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's probably right next door. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Gough. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious.